right. Good to see you tonight. Um, God's good, isn't he? And the rest of us are messed up. How's that? Is that the way we look at it? Um, you know, this is a, uh, a really uh, good lesson today because um, I know how many of you are bitter. Huh? Anybody bitter tonight? No, you're, you're not bitter. I want, to, uh, I want to just remind you of Israel. Israel, and this is not in your book, this is not in your chapter, so, but it, it relates to it very, very well. Uh, just take your Bibles and open to the book of Exodus, okay? And I, I'm sure this is familiar territory for you, but um, I want to take you there to, what did I do with it? Just left my Bible. Where's the waters of Mara? I thought they were in 16. Waters of Mara? I thought, it, oh yeah, here it is. I was right, 15, 15, okay. Um, so anyway, uh, I want you to think about this. Israel never murmured when they were making bricks for the Egyptians as slaves. They started to murmur after they saw the miracle of the Red Sea. The, arguably one of the biggest miracles of the Bible, right? They didn't murmur till then. And then they get on this cycle, okay? They, uh, God does a miracle. They murmur because they're dissatisfied with it, right? God brings some kind of a judgment or setback to them. They cry out to the Lord. God does a miracle, they murmur, and on goes this cycle throughout. So here they are, they're traveling, chapter 15 and verse 22, and it says, uh, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, then they wound out into the wilderness of Shur, and when they went three days into the wilderness, they found no water. Now remember, every word of God is pure, right? Every word, not just the word of God is pure, every word of God is pure. So notice that when he... When he when the Holy Spirit takes and gives you all these words, he's given them to you for a reason. So he says here that Moses, that Moses brought them out of the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. How many days? Okay. Would you all agree that there may be some significance in that? Okay. Now, they came to Marah. They could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. All right, now, so they went three days' journey, and they had what? They had no water. So where does God lead them? To bitter water. Isn't that interesting? When, when you don't have it, God takes you to the place where you can have it, but you can't, don't want it. So he leads them to the waters of Marah, to the bitter waters. Oh, you want water? Here's water. You want to complain? Let me give you some water. Oh, you didn't ask specifically in your prayers for good water. Huh? So it says in, in uh, Psalms, I think it's about 113 or 117, it's in that neighborhood, it says that they, they lusted in the wilderness and God gave them the desires of their heart, but he sent leanness to their soul. So in other words, God says, when you ask for the wrong thing, I'm going to give it to you. And then I'm going to see how you like it. And you're going to say, that wasn't what I wanted. And God said, but that's what you said you wanted. 
So now watch this. This is really this is a really great tie-in for this lesson tonight. So all of a sudden, and the, look what happened. Verse 24, and the people complained, or they murmured, in the King James, against Moses, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a what? A tree. Isn't that interesting? Now, now imagine, God, we need water, and God says, there's a tree. I mean, doesn't it just like, isn't it just like God? There's a tree. There's a tree. When he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and there was made a statute and ordinance for them, uh, and there he tested them. Okay, three days, no water. In other words, death. If you don't have water, you die, right? You can go for a while without food, you know. I know I can go a long time without food. I got a lot stored on me, but, but you know, you, can go, you can't go forever without water. So they go three days into the wilderness, no water. They're at the point of death. God says, here's bitter water. Why don't you take that? I don't want bitter water. What, were, what did they offer Jesus at the cross? Bitter water. Bitter water. You see this typology? This typology is perfect right here. So he shows him a tree, and he says, what am I going to do with this tree? I'm going to throw it in the water. I'm going to throw it in the water. We don't know exactly how that communicate, got communicated to him. And it says, uh, and there, he, when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So in other words, when the cross comes into your life, your bitter water becomes sweet. Your life becomes sweet. It's transformed right there, right? Okay. Now look what it says here. Verse 26, and if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in, in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha, is, is what he's really revealing himself here is. Now, isn't that interesting? So he transforms, we go from, I'm thirsty, I need water, I think I'm going to die, and he says, can I just take this as a teaching moment and tell you that you need to do what I say? Because I'm more than willing to bring the diseases on you that I brought on to the Egyptians. But remember, even if I do that, I am what? I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the God who heals you. I am the healer God. And this is the first time he reveals himself as the healer God. You know, there's uh, multiple names for God in Scripture. This particular one is Jehovah Rapha. And it says in verse uh, 27, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and, 20, uh, and 70 palms, and they camped there by the waters. Why didn't God take them to verse 27 first? Why did he take them to 22? Huh? Yeah, I mean, he had to take something out of them in order to put something into them. There is a principle in Scripture, and that is you have to practice uh, subtraction before you can practice addition. There has to be something out of you before God can put something in you, right? I mean, think about it. Just, let's just use the song was a good illustration. So um, when he enters, demons flee. I think it was that phrase in that song, right? Okay. So what did Jesus say when he cast out the demons? What did he say? We got to put the right stuff back in it or what? S See, sevenfold times more will come back in. So the idea is subtraction before addition. All through Scripture. Then he takes them, I and we could just stop on verse 27 and spend the night here because it says there were 12 wells of water. There why 12 wells of water? 
12 tribes. What other 12s are there in the Bible? 12 apostles. How about multiples of 12? Let me make it easier. 144,000. 120, right? Huh? 12 days of Christmas. That's good. That's good. You're a smart bride guy here tonight. Okay. All right, so what are we trying to illustrate here? Now let's just take our Bible and let's go over to the book of Genesis. And um, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead of maybe where I was going to start, but I think this will be good. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25, I think it is, 26. We're talking about bitterness here tonight, and I don't think there's anyone here that uh, is exempt from becoming bitter in some way. Uh, Genesis 25 and verse 29. Okay, let's take a look there. 25 and verse 29. Now, Jacob, what, what does Jacob's name mean? Anybody remember? Just shout it out if you know it. He's a deceiver. This guy was always going to win one way or the other, wasn't he? That's what his name means, Jacob. In fact, you know, Jeremiah says, your heart is deceitful, the, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The word, the heart is deceitful is literally, if you read in the Hebrew, is the heart is a Jacob. You have the heart of a Jacob until you're transformed by the power of God. So it says here, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. So they're, twin, they're, they're, they're brothers, right? But, but Esau is born first. Therefore, he has the right of inheritance of the firstborn. And the right of the inheritance would be he would get the birthright from his father. So he said, uh, so Jacob, he wants that birthright. And he knew exactly where old Esau, to hit old Esau. He came in from the field. He was hungry. And, and Esau, you know, he, he just thinks he's going to die. It says here in verse 32, Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Now, it seems hard to believe. I mean, this guy had to have a bad hunting day or really didn't care about his birthright, right? I doubt if he was starving to death. But he says, Get, you know, sell me your birthright, and I'll give you all the stew you want. So look what happens. Jacob said, swear to me this day. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob, and Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, isn't that interesting? Did he despise it before he sold it or after he sold it? Well, it's clearly after. Could it have been before too or not? I mean, I mean, really, he didn't value it if he sold it for some stew. I mean, if you think about what a birthright meant, it meant that the inheritance would come to him, and then you could distribute to the brothers and sisters below you as you chose to. I mean, a birthright was a pretty significant deal. It means you were like the, the up-and-coming patriarch of the family. And he said, why do I care about that? And he despised his birthright. Okay, now go over to, um, let's go over, pardon me? I don't know. You're old enough to know better. How about that for an answer? Amen? Okay, now go over to, um, go over to uh, Genesis chapter 28. Let's look at this. Genesis 28. And then after this, we're going to go to Hebrews. If some of you like to kind of plan ahead, we're going to go to Hebrews 12. Okay, so it says here in Genesis chapter 28, 
Verse 6, Esau saw that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan, Aram, to take himself a wife from there, that, and that he, as he blessed him, he gave him charge, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So here's Esau, he's watching, and what's Isaac doing? He's blessing Jacob, right? He's blessing the birthright, this blessing is coming on him, and Esau's taken all of this in, and he listens, and he says, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac, so Esau went to Ishmael, and here's the end of it. What does he do? He takes a Canaanite wife. Why does he take a Canaanite wife? He's bitter, isn't he? Who's he trying to punish? Why is he punishing his dad? It was Jacob that that cheated him out of the birthright. Why? Okay, not thinking straight. What else? Just keep going on this thing. I think he expected his father to override his stupid decision. Now, this is really powerful when you start to see it, right? He expected, he expected his father to override his stupid decision, but his father gave him the freedom of will and choice. Now, watch this principle. Can you see it already? We expect God to override our stupid decisions, but he gives us the freedom of choice, which comes with consequences. Why? Because he's testing us, and he's trying to grow us up as sons and daughters. How many times have you heard somebody say something to this effect? I don't know why God let this happen. I mean, I mean you, we probably said it sometimes, right? Or what's God up to? This doesn't seem fair. But if you trace it back, it probably came back somewhere along the line to probably a selfish decision or a, or a, or a hasty decision on our part. But then we, then, we get, then we blame God. Now watch this. In many ways, whether we like it or not, we view our Heavenly Father like we view our earthly father. And if that was an unhealthy view... What we have to do is we have to spend some time undoing that view to get a healthy view of God. So we'll say something like, the Father is nothing like my Father was. Right? If our, if our Father was a healthy role model for us, we'll say, you know, my, my Father so represented God to me. He so exemplified what it meant to be a follower of God. And we, we liken it to that way. Okay, all right, let's go over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Good news tonight is we might get done a little quicker tonight because chapter 6, I've been talking about it for two weeks. You probably had enough, all you can take of that. But anyway, Hebrews chapter 12. (laughs) No more, no more blessed life for me. Um, All right. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and let's look uh, together, if you will, in verse 12. Now, I love, you know, I love the way that um, the Scripture kind of comes together in the book of Hebrews because you have to kind of watch it close because he's, he's, he's trusting that you, 
have some basis, some understanding of Old Testament, right? Because it was written to the who? The Hebrews, not the Gentiles. Make sense? Okay. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Let's just stop there. Isn't that a funny verse? Isn't that a funny verse? What, what do you make sense of that? Anybody make sense of that one? Okay, could be. Could be old, could be broken down. What else? Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Okay, rejuvenate. I mean, you know, you see somebody just walking around like this, right? It's, this is the opposite of this. This right here is where we, the Hebrew word yada means to thrust the hands out in praise. See, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to praise God. Feeble knees, what? What, you can't pray? You can't praise and you can't pray. You're going to be in bad shape. You're, you're on the road to bitterness. That's what it's really saying. Yeah, somebody raise your hand. I, I didn't see who it was. Got the question answered? Okay. All right, so look what it says. And make straight the paths of your feet. So now we know he's not just talking about, you know, you know somebody who's in bad shape. He may be, but he says make this your paths, uh, straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. So what happens when I stay in a state of non-prayer, non-praise? It gets worse. It gets worse. We don't ever go back. We don't ever just stay in one place. You ever say, well, that guy backslid. You don't backslide, if I can use that term, to a place of certain maturity and stay there. Right? You know, they, they tell you in behavioral science that what happens is you progress through different levels but you never, if you, if you get to level seven in behavioral, you know, kind of the way you're operating, you're not going to go down to six and five. You're going to go back down to one. That's why, you know, people say, I don't know how I got in this mess so fast. Because we don't go like this. We progress like this slowly, right? You ever been frustrated because you don't progress quicker? But we digress like this. It's like going down a slide. That's a good illustration. Walk up a slide, how long does it take you? Go down a slide, how long does it take you? I mean, you can get away from God like that, right? But to, to build that maturity in and that stability into your life, man, we, we can move into, into that, you know, just decline so fast. So he says here, so that, uh, so that what is lame may not be dislocated. Okay, now this poor guy just had an arm that was hanging out. Now somebody jerked it out of socket. You ever, you ever see anybody with their shoulder out of socket? My wife. You remember, what was that, what was that uh, movie, the, the cop that his shoulder always came out and he had to slam it against the locker? Lethal Weapon. That was my wife. Did you know that about Tammy? When we first got married, she, she would say, oh, you know, my, and I said, what? She said, my shoulder's out of joint. I said, what? You're what? We're just married. You didn't tell me about this before we got married? You know, all I can imagine is lethal weapon, you know, just, you know, and she would ease it back in, and eventually she had uh, 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 surgery done on it so that they could fix all that up, right? And, uh, 
But imagine that, that God says, you know what, if, if you don't strengthen those things, you know, guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to yank it out of, i got to move over here. i got to yank it out of socket. I've got to fight the light here. i got to yank it out of socket. Now how are you going to praise God if it's out of socket? Try to lift your arms when your arm's out of socket. What's he doing? He's trying to warn, to, trying to warn us about something. And then he says here, now, now look at this funny transition. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will seek the Lord. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think the way scriptures come together are unusual. Don't you? You kind of got to think, what is going on here, God? First, it's just kind of like, you know, you got arms that hang low. You got feeble knees. You know, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to pull it out of socket. He said, oh, by the way, pursue peace. So what was the real issue? real issue was when you're not on your knees, when you're not praising God, what you're going to do is you're going to create conflict. You're going to create conflict. And you know what? When you create conflict you, and without this proper attitude, you don't want resolution, right? I'm relocating. Speaking of relocating, not dislocating, I'm relocating, okay? He said, you don't want to fix this thing. So now look what it says. Looking carefully, now look at this transition, lest any fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So what happens? Okay, you see the digression? Okay, I get to the place where I really am not praising God. I might act like I'm praising God. I'm not on my knees praying. So I digress into dislocation, basically. I'm not pursuing peace with all people or holiness. And I'm not looking carefully because I've fallen short of the grace of God. And what's what gets inside of me is a root of bitterness. Now, the problem with this root of bitterness, nobody ever wants to get bitter alone. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody's, it's not like a solo sport. Guy gets bitter, says, how you doing? Can't tell you. No, I'm not, uh, no, just don't even ask me. No, what do they do? Buy it, many are what? defiled. So I could say, hey, do you know what I'm bitter about? And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you bitter. And then you can go over here and get her bitter. And then you can go over here and you can get your tribe of bitter. And we, before long, what does it say? Many are what? Defiled. You know what that means? Many have dislocated shoulders. Many are not pursuing peace with all men. Many are falling short of the grace of God. You see how this works? Then, look at the transition, verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Now, you see how that tied back to Genesis? So, what was Gen- what is he called here? Profane person like Esau. Profane is the opposite of sacred. Sacred means one who has entered into the, into the presence of God. I've got to see how far I have to go over here to... Get out of that sun. There we go. Get over here by Stan. All right. So what happens is profane is I'm standing outside the temple looking in. Sacred, I'm inside the temple enjoying the presence. That's what a profane person is. And it says Esau was profane. You know what he was doing? He was standing outside the temple looking in, and he was bitter because why? Because he despised his birthright. 
I don't care about that. I don't care. I don't want that. I don't care about that. I'm bitter, and I'm going to spread bitterness anywhere I go and everywhere I go. I promise you this. If someone is bitter, they are not right with God. Their anger is never justified. If you're bitter, you're never, you never can justify it in Scripture. You never can. Be angry, but sin not. Okay, that's a righteous anger. That's different. That's different in bitterness. That's different what he's talking about here. And it, look what it says. It says, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. I don't know about you, but that, this whole thing, and let me just read the rest of it, then we, I'll comment on it. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now we get a little bit more insight into him. You know what he did? He got home, and somewhere along the journey, he said, I am so stupid. What was I thinking? What did I just do? I gave up my birthright for that? Can you think of one of the uh, a situations in the life of Jesus where somebody sold their birthright, so to speak, for just a little bit of silver? Judas, that's what he did, didn't he? He had a birthright. He was in the presence of God. He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus, and he sold his birthright for some silver. It's a warning to all of us, really. It's a warning for us not to sell our birthright, not to give up. You, you know, you, you think sometimes it's just easy to get it back, but look what it says here. He couldn't get it back. He couldn't get the blessing back. I'm not talking about losing your salvation here. I'm talking about losing the blessings that God wants to put on you. You can lose the blessed life, so to speak. You can become an angry, bitter person and be saved. Right? Okay, let me, let me just take you over here to one other thing while we're talking about this. Go to, um, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This will tie in pretty good, I think. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 1, we'll just look at 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual people, but as unto carnal, as to babes in Christ. So Paul's writing to these Corinthians. He says, you know, I wanted to to feed you with some good solid meat, but I couldn't because there's a problem. I fed you with milk, and you were not for solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. Why not? Feed us, God, feed us. You know, I love it when uh, moms bring their little babies the first or second time to church. You know, all they want to do is show them off, right? And all we want to do is look at them. I mean, no pastor wants to compete with a new baby, right? Oh, look how cute he is. And they're looking over the, you know, hi, you know, they're waving everything else, right? Look what it says. Why am I not, why can't I not? For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, aren't you not carnal and behaving like mere men? This is the same thing. This is what he's talking about, isn't it? You're acting like a mere man. Do you know that nobody in this room who knows Jesus is human, merely human? You were that before you were saved. You're more than that now. 
You're royalty. You are, you are redeemed. You are the temple of the living God. Think about that. So what happens is we fall back into this idea, well, you know, after all, I'm only human. Or how about this one? Well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's an excuse. That's just an excuse to do what I want to do, to have an answer. Am I, am I human? Yes. Am I a sinner saved by grace? Yes. But I don't need an excuse. I need to look and say, you know, there's a royalty in about me, you know. And when I do that, my perspective changes. Imagine a football coach. Jack, I'll try to get this one right, okay. Football coach, he has all these players show up, and uh, he's not much of a coach, not like Jack. Jack's a good coach. All these players show up, and he says, okay, boys, uh, what does everybody want to be? And everybody wants to be a quarterback. Okay, well, let's give it a try. Everybody can be the quarterback. So, Who's going to hike the ball? Oh, we don't have anybody to hike the ball. What are we going to do? Well, I guess it'll just sit there. What's wrong with that story? Besides being a bad coach and maybe not that great a story. Nobody's playing their position. Nobody's been assigned a position. Nobody knows what to do. You have a position in Christ as a child of the living God. You also have a giftedness in that, within that position. When you operate in your position with, according to the, let's say, the rule book, okay, according to your position, then you're going to thrive in that role. But if you're trying to be something that you're not, or everybody's trying to be everything, we never get anywhere, do we? So it says here, he said, for while you're still carnal, for there's envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, oh, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? I mean, don't we see that in Christianity today? The thing I, I, I never liked, and, and you, hear it, you still hear it periodically, and you know, they'll say, well, I go to so-and-so's church. I'm going to use this a little. I go to Phil's church. Well, Phil does not have a church. I don't have a church. There's a, Jesus has one. You know, he lets me talk at this what of his. So if you've ever said that, just don't anymore. So I go to Influence, or I, I go to Church of Jesus Christ, and they got a name on it called Influence. But, but you know, the idea, you see what I'm trying to make? We don't need that. We don't need to create that stuff in us, you know. Um. God wants us to, we're better than that, honestly. Um, when, uh, when this chapter, chapter 5 started, he, he made a comment. He said, I, was, I'm, I, was a, I realized I was afraid about what people think about me. Anybody suffer from that malady? I remember one time I came home and I told my dad, and he was kind of a straight shooter. You know, I said, Dad, I, you know, I, I, I just don't know what people are thinking about me, what the kids at school are thinking about me. He says, what makes you think they even think about you at all? And honestly, it was pretty helpful because I thought everybody sat around thinking about me, right, and how they didn't like me. What He said, what do you mean they even crossed their mind? I go, oh, yeah, I guess that's probably true, Dad. Thanks. I feel really encouraged now. No wonder the Dutch are the way they are. But, um, but it's true that, that if you – how many of you would agree with this? 99 people tell you you're great, one person tells you you're bad, and all you can remember is the bad. Anybody, anybody relate to that at all? 
You know, go, why does that person like me? You know, that just goes back to that, that human fallen side of us, isn't it? We so starve for approval. We so hunger for worth. And we miss it because really nobody can give you that. There's no human being can give you that. Only God can give you that. Only God can give you that. As long as you look for man to give that to you, it's not going to happen. Just not going to happen. Um, something bad, something disappointing happens to you. What happens? You go through a progression. If you just write these down, I think this will be helpful. I'm sorry I don't have anything to draw it on. But um, write down the first word, um, need. And we're just going to make, make a circle out of it, Okay. So at the top of this circle, write the word need. Okay. And uh, then next, uh, the next uh, thing down, write frustration. The next one, write down um, anger. And then write hate. And then bitterness. Okay, now imagine this. Does oh, below that put murder? On the last one, put how about murder? That's a good one. Now, would we all agree murder is a really bad thing to do? Can we all agree on that? How about can we agree that that bitterness is a bad thing, and hate, right? How about anger? Well, it's not quite as bad, right, as those other three. How about frustration? Okay, that one we can kind of. How about how about um, need? And let's let's put in front. Let's modify that a little bit. Let's put unmet need. Unmet need. Okay, so little boy. Parents are having a party at their house. Little boy comes over, and he grabs his dad by the pant leg, and he says, Dad, Dad. And he says, Not now, son. I'm, I'm busy. I'm talking to this man. I'll be with you in just a minute. And Dad, 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 not son, in just a minute. He said, Go over there and get some punch. He walks over the punch bowl. He grabs the lip of it, flips it upside down. The punch goes all over. The dad rushes over, grabs him, says, Why did you do that? And he goes, Why did he do it? He had an unmet need. He needed his father's attention. His father wouldn't give it to him, so what did he do? He took and did an illegitimate way to get a, a legitimate need met in his life. So when I have an unmet need, now watch this. I'm just going to draw it around like this, okay? Unmet need here, okay? I try to get it met, and, it's fr and I hit frustration. That's, an un that's a block goal, block goal in your life, okay? Now, if I don't get that frustration met, what am I going to do? It's going to make me angry, right? And my anger can then lead me to hate or to bitterness, and the ultimate expression of that is murder. When the Simpson trial was out, you know, I thought about this diagram. I thought that's exactly what happened to him. He had an unmet need in his life, whatever it was, okay? He was frustrated by it, okay? He became angry about it. He became bitter, hateful about it, and finally committed murder. Now, watch this. Watch this. If I look at all of these, what's the, what's the way back? What's the way back from, let's just say I'm down here in bitterness. What's the way back? I have to go back to the unmet need. 
I don't have to progress my way through all the way back through those. I have to say, what is it that's creating bitterness in my life? Uh-huh. These are just these are just a deepening expression of, of the frustration I experienced as an unmet need. So now you can see how how you know something just kind of progresses and gets out of the way. So root of bitterness, um, some of the things like how about this one? Life's unfair. Anybody ever said that or felt that or thought that? Okay, if you don't want to admit it, how about have you heard anybody say life's unfair? Okay, there you go. Anybody ever here been offended? Okay, offended, all right. How about provoked, been provoked? How about uh, ever, uh, ever been slighted? Yeah, okay. Did it result in maybe cynical or, or being grieved or being jealous? Okay, well, you have all the right ingredients for bitterness. Good news, right? Bitterness is a spiritual condition that Satan uses to take you away from praising God. You cannot be bitter and praise God at the same time. You just try it. You come in church bitter and just try to sing with all your heart. Sing unto the Lord. Joy. Oh, God. God, I praise you. Thank you so much for my bitterness. Hallelujah. My bitterness is deeper than it's ever been before. You can't do it. And that's what God's trying to tell us here, that we, you know, for us to truly be free, that's what this book is all about, right? How am I going to be free? i got to get this stuff out of me if I'm ever going to be free. So, uh, if you're looking in your book, this is page 91. Uh, number one, bitter roots deceive us, but God tells us the truth. So demonic forces, they speak lies to us. You know they don't like you. and The reason they don't like you is this. You ever thought somebody didn't like you and they didn't even, it, it was never crossed their mind, right? My daughter, when she was young, she'd come home, often from school and say, you know, Daddy, nobody likes me at school. And she would. She'd say it all the time. All the time. Nobody likes me at school. I don't know if that's true or not. You know? But I noticed that that same pattern that was there in a child is still that same pattern in her today. So here she's doing really, really good in her company. She's number one salesperson in the whole nation for her company. Okay? She comes out here. She does this training thing, and I said, how'd it go? She said, pretty good, but, you know, I don't think those girls out there like me. Well, they may not, but I said, Jen, I've been hearing this your whole life. It's impossible for nobody to like you. You're so likable. The problem is not out there. The problem's in here. You know, sometimes when you, have you ever just wanted to not care? I don't care about it. I have. And if you're a pastor, you just kind of go, I just don't want to care. I don't want to care. I'm tired of this caring stuff. God, why'd you give me this gift of shepherding? I got to care. Pray, I worry. You know, even a, even a mean sheep that bites me, I love. Right? Really, seriously. You just kind of went, I wish I was just callous. You know, just let's have mutton tonight, you know. There's something in it. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3. It says here uh, in verse 3, I'll give you a minute to find it. I, uh, it says here in verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve. Now, the word as is one of the most important words in the Bible. The second one is the word like, as and like. 
And a lot of people look at me and wonder about that, as and like. Why? Because if I want to understand the Scripture, he's given me a reference point to go back and look at. So he says, as the serpent deceived Eve. So I should stop right there and go back and reread, how did he deceive Eve? By craftiness, it says. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So how did he do it? He just took, hey, this is a really simple relationship that Eve had with God. God says, I made everything, and I'm God. You can do every, anything you want in this whole garden except eat that tree. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Is that, simple, is that Christianity 101? That's all you got to do. Just don't do that, and you can do everything else you want. You can run naked through the jungle. In fact, I like you that way. It wasn't until they sinned they realized that wasn't a good thing. Remember that? I mean, think about it. That was simple living. So so the enemy came and he said, God is not that simple. God's really not on your side. God's not really a good God. He's a bad God. So what you've got to understand is the problem is if you eat from that tree, then you're going to be like him, and he doesn't want any other gods in his kingdom. Took away the simplicity. Whenever somebody tries to take Christianity and make it complicated with legalism, they're robbing you of simplicity in Christ. Right? They're just robbing you. They're stealing it from you. They're, you know, a person that's legalistic is hates grace, hates forgiveness. I know that sounds weird. How could anybody hate grace? How could anybody hate forgiveness? Tell you a true story. A guy named Reggie LeFay. Anybody know this name, Reggie LeFay? Reggie LeFay was in a, in a rock group called Heart back in the day. Two girls, guy, played a saxophone, probably one of the best saxophone players I've ever heard in my life, okay? Reggie LeFay uh, would practice, and this is how good he became. There was a guy, remember Doc, Doc Severinsen? Is that the name, the guy that was Johnny Carson? He gave, he gave Reggie his saxophone because he said, Reggie, you're the best saxophone player I've ever heard in my life. Reggie would practice six to seven hours every day of his life, every day of his life from the time he was 12, okay? Reggie came to faith in Christ. All right, so what does he do? He quits heart, and now all these churches across America say, Reggie, come over and play your saxophone and give your testimony. He's been saved like a month. He's up giving his testimony in big churches all across America. You know, they're, they're you know, clapping their hands together. This is great. He's so busy. He's busier going to churches, playing saxophone, giving his testimony. He was playing for a rock group, Heart. To the point, his marriage fell apart. Okay? He didn't have the spiritual maturity to know what to do with it, how to fix it. He really didn't. Marriage fell apart, and no church ever called him up and said, hey, come give your testimony again. In fact, they did just the opposite. They judged him, right? You said you were a Christian. You came and gave a testimony, and you couldn't even hold your marriage together. See, that's grace-hating. I will use you because you're a commodity. The minute you cease to be a commodity, I turn you out. We ne- you see, that's what Satan does. Satan always, and I'm not saying all those churches were evil. What I'm saying is that we get in our mind that there's a certain standard by which God loves us, accepts us, and approves of us after we're saved. 
It's like we get in with grace, but then we try to be perfected by law. If you want to really read a good book on that, it's called the book of Galatians. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the works of the flesh? O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Bewitched you. Think about that phrase Paul uses to Christians in a church in Galatia. Who hath bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Were you, were you saved by the works of the law or the works of the flesh? It's the same thing when somebody says to you, you know, you know, Christians go to church every week. And if you were a good Christian, you'd go to church every week. What is that true or not true? It's half true. Right? Christians go to church every week. Okay? Good Christians go to church every week. That's untruth, right? Because you can be a good Christian and miss church. You see, what the enemy does is he exploits half-truths or half of the truth. There's enough in there that it sounds right, but there's enough in there that it's wrong. I love being in church every week. We go on vacation, go, let's go to church. Well, we're on vacation. Ah, I know. Or Shields, Tammy will say to me, um, let's go to church. Like, ah, we're on vacation. Then we'll kind of talk ourselves back into it. Oh, what are we thinking? Let's just go to church, right? Let's just go check it out and see what's going on. Um, I love doing that, but God doesn't love me more because I do that on vacation. If he did, then his love for me is based on my going to church. And if it's based on that, it's probably based on some other stuff too. Shame for a woman to have short hair. Isn't that what Paul says in the Corinthian letter? What's short? What's short? Is it here? Is it here? If I'm talking to, uh, or, or it's a shame for, uh, uh, you know, uh, for a woman to have short hair, well, then the long hairs are covering. Okay, well, let me ask you something. If I'm talking about short hair to a bald man, what's short hair? See, it's all, see, that's not the issue. That's not the point. So what happened? You have whole denominations that, that sprung up, and the idea was the longer the hair, the better, and you got those, you know, those giant buns that just got taller and taller into the sky. You know, I mean, I don't know if they still do that or not, but they got these giant buns. I don't know what to do with the things, right? Can't manage them. And that became more godly. Or then we, how about the air of hats? Got to put a hat on. Women got to wear hats. Sign of submission. Okay? So a woman comes in with short hair. What happens? Tammy's sister, when she was 16, left church, didn't really ever come back until she was about 40. You know why? Because the deacons had to have a meeting in their church because she showed up at church on a Sunday night in blue jeans. Man, I'd be in trouble. It's about all I own. I had to have a meeting with the parents. I had to correct her. I had to go home and talk to her. She said, I'm done with this. Bitterness grew up in her heart. Was it her fault ultimately? Yeah, maybe. But it was 
it was so pushed down her, and she was so judged as she got ostracized, she got hurt, and she wasn't mature enough to know what to do with it, and it took her 25 years to get back into church. Now, you can, you can look at it either way. You can look at it, you know, how about Tennessee, who, who's that cowboy, uh, that Western player, Tennessee Ernie Ford? You ever hear his story? His story was he was, uh, uh, he played guitar. He was pretty good at it. So they invited him to, to, they heard him sing. He was in the choir, heard him sing, and they said, why don't you come and, and uh, play, a, play a song here? And so they, they didn't know he was going to play country. So he got in front of the church, and he played a, he played a Christian song and a hymn, but he played it with a guitar and country. He said, you'll never play in here again. He never went back in church. Was that his fault? Yeah. But you see, religiosity has bad effects on people, doesn't it? We have to guard ourselves, man. We have to, we can't stop it. You know, sometimes we say, if, if, if we do something like that, we just got to go say, hey, I'm sorry, right? Forgive me. Let's just, I don't want that to happen. Let's go back. What's simple? What is the simplicity of Jesus? I was cornered in a bathroom when I was in college in Springfield, Missouri, by a couple of guys from, from Baptist Bible Institute. Very, very hyper-conservative thing. And I was in there, my buddy was in there, and we were confronted, and my buddy, they were picking on my buddy because he had a beard. And he had, he had both our hair was kind of long. And uh, said he was trying to witness to us. We said, oh, we're both Christians. Oh, you can't be Christians because you have a beard and long hair. And my buddy goes, well, I think Jesus had a beard. No, he didn't. It says, well, it says he plucked his beard out. I mean, had long hair. He would have not cut his hair. Probably had a Nazarite vow. You see what, see what happens? These are, these are, these are the, the kind of places where it gets into us. So uh, let's just look at this, um, what happens in us. And in, in this is in, in that, that section under uh, bitter roots deceive us. God tells us the truth. Uh, so two ways to believe Satan's lie. One is evil living, which is... There are no consequences. I can do whatever I want to do. And the other one is legalism, that I earn my relationship with God. If you took a little meter, if you had a little meter inside of you, and you said, where's my grace versus my works meter, my legalistic meter, where would it be? You know? You may not really know, but it's a good thing to do. Would you say, I'm gonna, I, wonder, I want to show hands here, would you say you would tend to lean more toward grace or more toward law? Raise your hand. More toward grace, raise your hand. More toward law. Okay, a couple of you. All right. So the danger with us grace people is everybody gets away with murder. All right? We got to make sure that we say, okay, there's grace, but now... Go and sin, right? No more, okay? The legalistic people say, you sin, therefore I throw you out. We have to find that right balance, right? We always have to keep the balance. A false weight is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. We got to get it right somehow. We got to figure out how to get it right. Okay, let me move on here. Um, page 94, bitter roots defile many. Uh, God can cleanse every sin. Um, what is, uh, you know, where that, that uh, word there um, in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 and verse 15 where it says many are defiled, that means to stain with dye. You know what that means? You ever, uh, you ever painted a house and got paint on you, didn't know you had it on you? Walking around, you got paint on your arm. Hey, you got paint on your arm. Paint your hair, 
Did you know that bitterness stains you? And everybody can see it but you? Everybody sees it, but you, see, you don't see it. Because, see, the part of what happens with, with bitterness is because it's a spiritual condition, it brings about blindness on the person who's bitter. They actually become self-righteous in their bitterness. I often thought we ought to get all the bitter people together and form a community group. You guys are all in a group together. You were called the bitter group. You get, and, you know, do, you know, we don't even to designate a leader. Let's just see who wins. The bitterest person wins, right? Okay. Um, how about what's wrong with this scripture? First, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as white as wool. And how does that verse begin? Anybody remember? Come, let us reason together. God says, you know what? And you know what precedes that? It's bringing all these sacrifices. And God says, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? In other words, he said, you think what I want you to do is sacrifice? What I want you to do is have a good heart. You're bringing the right sacrifices, guys. You're, you're observing the, 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 the new moon and the Sabbath days and all the holy days. You're doing all the right stuff. But you know what I want? I just want us to reason together. You've got some sins. Would you just admit it? And you know what? All that stuff that's red and crimson, I'm going to make it white. I'm going to make it pure. Isn't that good? Take the stain away. So what's the cure for bitterness? Well, it's just the, it's the blood of Christ. Amen? If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us some of our sins. All of our sins. All of our sins. Um, number three, this is um, page 98, bitter roots uh, depress. Anybody ever been depressed? Huh? Ever been depressed? Let's just show, anybody ever here been depressed? Anybody been clinically depressed? <laughs> yes, I've been clinically depressed. Where does it come from? If I take depression on this side, discouragement on this side, I'm not talking about you've got a medical condition here, okay, that, that you really need some help, okay? I'm talking about, and you've been through trauma. I'm talking about just let's call it everyday kind of I'm a little discouraged, depressed kind of stuff. Isn't that the opposite of joy? Guess what Jesus said? My joy do I give unto you, because you know why? You don't have any. Isn't that what he's saying? Yours is no good. My joy do I give unto you, that your joy might be made what? Full. Hey, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer, for I have what? Overcome. And so the key to, to really the Christian life is Christ in you and Christ in me. That's Christianity. It's him living his life in me and through me, and the explanation is never me. It's never my joy, because if I don't have that, guess what? I will digress back down, and I can get discouraged, defeated, depressed. The best thing to do is when I recognize that in my life is go, I got no joy. Can I have yours? Can I have your joy, God? I don't have any. I'm out. This life has sucked me dry. I'm out. 
Give me joy. You know, people, uh, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, you know that one? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, all that. People will oftentimes think that that's a plural, the fruits of the Spirit. It's singular. It's not talking about characteristics that you have. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's like. When he's in you and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have all nine of those. Don't go through that and go, well, I got a little bit of love, not much patience, you know. No, 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 it's, this is not you. So what's the key to get all nine of those? Is him in his fullness in you. So the expression is not you, but him. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled, that word, that Greek word pleroma means to be filled to the point of influence. That's why he says in, in, in Ephesians, says, don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever been, you know, to be drunk with wine, you don't have to drink until you can't drink anymore. You just have to drink enough to get under the influence. Right? Okay? So I just got to get, I got to get filled up with the Holy Spirit enough to where I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. How do I know when I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit? It's all work. It's just work. Christianity's work, loving people's work, just off with their heads. Let them eat cake. I'm done with you. That's, that's when you know you're not filled with the Spirit. Your receptors aren't receiving. How do I turn that around? Can, can I just tell you real quick? Because we all are going to experience this. Here's how I turn it around. I just stop and I go, God, I just need to confess to you right now that I've been trying to thrive and, and live in my own power. And right now, there's my interest level's down, my, my love level's down, and I just don't have it, God. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, would you just fill me right now? Would you take control? And I'm just going to start to praise you for the things that are even making me mad right now and frustrating me. I'm going to lift up my hands. Remember the hands that fall down, the knees that are weak? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to praise. I'm going to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. Well, how quick does that take? Well, sometimes instantly you just notice that. Sometimes you just got you got to keep saying it over and over again because you got to get a bunch of you out to get a bunch of him in. Amen. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see here. What else? Okay. Let's go in our books to page one hundred three. Can we do that? Now we're gonna have some fun. At least. Some of you will. How many of you found this chapter helpful? Anybody? Yeah? How many of you are more bitter now that you read it? Okay. <laughs> All right, here's what I want us to do. Uh, let's take a look at those questions. When a person speaks with resentment, does he or she seem like a resentful person overall? Do you think it's possibly resentful in just one area of life? Okay, Esau was driven by appetite, and we live in a world that thrives on instant gratification. What ways do you tend to give in easily to satisfaction in front of you instead of relying on the Lord? Okay, um, so here's what I want you to do. We're gonna we're gonna mix it up a little bit tonight. We're gonna get you in some groups. So uh, I want you to count off. Just starting right here. One. Let's start over. 
Okay, stands one. Okay, you're? No, you're. What did you say? Two? Okay, you're three. <laughs> okay, can all the, where's the, you're now in charge of the ones. Okay, where do you want your team to be? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, you, you just tell your team where to go. Ones, twos, everybody get your groups together. And I want you to, you can pick, out of these five questions, you can pick any two questions you want. And I want you to just take a few minutes and kind of dialogue, okay? All right, you guys are having fun, huh? Build a little community, right? Don't even want to quit, huh? Leave you alone, just let you keep going. Okay, you can just stay right where you are, okay, because I'm just going to finish up. Uh, as I said, Chapter 6 I've been preaching on for two weeks, and I, I figure you probably know it pretty well. But uh, right where you are in your group, okay, um, tell me one thing. Anybody in your group, can you can, you can designate someone, um, but what, would you, what was the one thing that came out of it you thought was really insightful among your group? Okay, so I'm going to give you just a second to think about it. Okay, one thing that you thought was insightful that came out of your group, what was it? All right, who wants to start? Okay, group one, we'll start with you. Thank you very much for volunteering. Group one to my right. Okay, who's going to do, who's going to do the talking? talking about oh sorry can you hear that's it? hear it now okay i don't know how great it is but anyway uh we did number question number two and uh, it was talking about esau was driven by his appetite and one of the things that i ran across with my son my oldest son is that he was uh we were living in dallas he was very into marijuana and it was consuming his life in terms of he was very smart, he was very driven, but he lost it all. He was back to just, I told him, I said, if you were living in somebody's closet, you'd be okay as long as you had money for your marijuana. And I said, we, my job changed, and I was going to Phoenix, and I said, you can come to Phoenix with me, you can change your life, you can get rid of all this, you can get back into God and get back into church. And he started crying and said, I'll go. So he went. He not only got back into church, he met his wife, they got, uh, they got married, he had uh, worked as in the youth ministry, and then uh, he got his grade point back up, went back to school, and got back into med school, and he is now doing residency in Michigan as a doctor. So see, the moral of the story is good things come from marijuana. Just kidding, just kidding. All right. Okay, what other group? Who's the next group? Okay. All right. That's a great story. I love that story. Wow. Okay. Who we got back here? You're, what are we doing? Well, you're not going to be in charge. That's for our, the guy asked, what are we doing? We're not putting Mike in charge. Okay, what you're doing is you're reporting, what was the, something, one of the questions that you felt like was one of the, Good insight you'd like to share with the group. Who, and who's your spokesperson? Yeah. Okay, we felt like people with resentment don't really always get over the resentment that they continue to resent people. And why can they not 
trust God or trust people around them? The answer we didn't know. I don't know. Did we have time? It could come from a childhood experience. Oh, would you like to volunteer? Okay. Okay, so we were group three and we did question three. And I think, is that the one y'all did too? The one with Naomi and. Okay. Anyway, we did the the bitterness and what would you say to a person who was bitter like Naomi was? Why did God do this to me? And, um, you know, really that is a, a common problem, I think, that we face with people that um, maybe they know we're Christians, but they're angry at God. And so um, what we said is, is that we would be genuine and authentic with them and let them know, you know what, that it isn't God that, that did this to you. Um, but, you know, I understand how you feel, you know, because we have experienced disappointments too. And whatever it is, you know, if, if I can pray with you, if I can help you in any way, if, um, you know, I can tell you my story about some of the things that, that have happened to me. But, you know, it, we said that it really does hurt our heart whenever people say, oh, yeah, God did this. And because they're not realizing that that there is a huge difference between God and Satan in their characteristics and who they are and how they are, and that God would never intentionally hurt and destroy and deceive and lie and, and do all of those things um, to make people feel loss and anger and bitterness and resentment. So that, that's not God's nature. So, you know, it's, it's just basically trying to, you know, walk them through their their disappointments and to let them know that that you know God already knows how they feel you know and and um, he loves them anyway and he wants a relationship with them anyway so hold that mic let me ask you a question do you think it's possible for people to be bitter at someone else when they're really bitter at God but they don't think they're bitter at God yeah yeah well I mean you know it happens we sometimes don't even know why we're mad. We just are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Who's next over here? The designated driver. Designated. Who's straight up? Well, I was just confirming with our group what was, but one of one of the things that we talked about was that um, it was right in line with what Phil's dad said to him is that we are, and I think to me it's a it's a sign of our pride that we should think we're that important that anybody else really cares about us or cares about what we're doing, and so um, I was sharing a story that a counselor once told me, and Cheryl. Uh, you know, nobody really cares. All your stuff, nobody really cares. Why? Because they have all their stuff. 
So just go to your respective corners and get your stuff right so that you can start giving. And so th we had experiences where people, you know, we held resentment or people hurt us. And the truth was nobody really cared. We thought they cared. So um, that was question number four. Okay. That was question number four. I heard somebody say one time that pity is pride turned inward. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. Is this the best for the last? Last for the best? Who's talking? Davis. Such planners over here. Do I have to do paper, rock, scissors here? What do I have to do here? Well, I'm, t I'm stealing something that my husband always likes to tell, but I told these guys, and they never even had done this. So um, we were talking about how sometimes your bitterness, you don't tend to look at the whole picture. And so we were in Hebraic studies, and a lot of you have, have met us, and so you've heard the story. But um, they talk about, the Hebrews talk about life is a rowboat, and that you have to constantly remind yourself of that and our past six years have been really a struggle because my husband's been out of work. And I had a tendency to be resentful and wonder, why is this happening to us? And my husband always goes back to the rowboat story. But, and I was shocked, these guys had never ridden in a rowboat. But um, when you're rowing a boat, you're looking where you've been and you have no idea where you're going. You have to, you know, just be confident that you're going the right direction. And my husband always tells me when I go to that space of, why is, when is this going to end? He's like, do you see the past? Do you see all those years when we couldn't buy shoes for our children? Those God walked us through. We never had to go without food. Trust that he's in front of the rowboat and just keep on rowing, keep on rowing. So I think when we have resentment, we have to just tell people, look at your past. Where were you then? And remember, who's in the front of the boat? He's going to direct your boat. He's going to tell you when to, you know, pull to the right or to the left. And I think that's what we learned about resentment. We have to keep looking at our past and what's happened then and keep growing forward. Good. Did I get everybody? Did I get all the groups? Everybody? Good? Okay. You know, um, I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but it, it it's in a book by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. And I don't know if you've ever read that particular book by Watchman Nee. It was the first Christian book I ever tried to read outside the Bible. And I, I was maybe a Christian just a month. And it was so far above. I mean, it's called The Normal Christian Life, but, you know, it was so far advanced to where I was at the time. And I went back and reread it years later. And, man, it was so good. You know, it was so good because I was there. But he makes a comment in there. He says, why is it that God hates sin so much? And, you know, you think, ah, because he just, he's righteous, he's holy. You know, I mean, kind of that expected answer. He says, because of what we forfeit in glory. You know, and you think about it, that bitterness, we forfeit so much by being bitter. We just give it up. We give up daily joy. We give up all that stuff. 
I mean, isn't there a reason why Jesus said, you know, sufficient is the day for the evil thereof? In other words, don't you have enough stuff to deal with today than to worry about tomorrow? Right? And, and you know, it, bitterness is kind of one of those things that we can project, you know, well, you know, we look back on it and we, yeah, but we also project and we pull everybody into it and just say, you know, I just, I get to the place to where I just, some of my biggest burdens of, for prayer are praying for people that are angry, hurt, and bitter. You know, not because of me. I mean, not because I'm hurting, because they're losing out on so much stuff. And when I find myself in that situation, I go, Phil, look what you're giving up. You're just like trashing your own life for what? You know? And, and God's got just something better for us than that. Just better, you know? And he just wants us to take hold of the better. Amen? Amen. Um, hey, just one thing I wanted to say to you, just in principle in chapter 6, and I'm just going to call it, uh, call uncle on it. Um, over in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, there's a great principle in Scripture, and it says, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. And that principle is repeated in the New Testament in this way. It says, give honor to whom, whom honors do. You know, God is always do honor, right? And then he talks about that whole thing about one another. We should give honor to one another. You know? Watchmen in that same book, Watchmen in the, um, no, it was in the book um, that we read. What was the one on spiritual authority? He said, when you walk in the room, the first thing you ask is, to whom should I be submissive? And then he goes through that long list. He says, first of all, anybody who's older than you, be submissive. Okay? Anybody who has a, a position, you know, within that, organization, whatever it is, be submissive, okay? And he goes through, and finally he gets down to where he's eliminated everybody, everybody you're supposed to be submissive to. Because, see, if I'm submissive to you, if I say, hey, man, how can I help you? How can I minister to you? What's going to be your normal response? Well, you know, unless you're something wrong with you, you're going to, well, I want to minister to you too because I'm honoring you, and you're going to honor me. But I can't wait to be honored, I have to honor first. How do I honor you? How do I bless you? How do I help you? You know? And it takes a pretty hard soul to say, well, you can't. I don't like you. Right? That may happen, but hopefully it's an odd thing, right? Amen? All right. Hey, guys, love you guys. Thanks for being here tonight. Hopefully it was helpful. Right? Yeah, kind of? You kind of all woke up when you started talking to one another. That's, that's the best part. Right? All right. Well, let's, uh, hey, let's pray, and then let's just uh, ask the Lord to be with us this week. God, thank you for every person here, for their families, their friends, their, their uh, spheres of influence, God, that you give them uh, every single day. God, uh, this great lesson that we learned tonight on bitterness, God, how unimportant and unnecessary it really is in our life. And God, anything in us right now that would be angry or resentful or bitter, Father, would you just take it from us? God, the key is always to go back to the cross. Let the cross be in the center of our bitterness. And just, God, take it far away. Just as you um, took away the bitterness of sin, so let us take away the bitterness of life and find joy and peace and power in the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, is next week the last week? Really? Okay. So the next two lessons, right? Are there four lessons left or two? I thought there's only two.
Hold on. Hold on. Before everybody leaves. Hold on. Hold on. Patience. Okay. So, yeah, we're, so next week you've got seven and eight, and then so we've got two more weeks. Seven and eight, and then the following week, the last two chapters, okay? All right, guys. God bless. Go and sin. No more. <laughs>